If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. And yes, I'm your host, Todd Huff. Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. If you want to watch the program live or on demand, it's good to be here this morning. Hope you had a great weekend. There's lots to talk about, as you well know. I want to start here today. It all kind of, I don't know, comes together around this central. Okay, so approval rating of Trump among black voters. Saw this as I was getting ready here in the final moments for the program. I had not seen this until now. There was a poll conducted, a Hill-Harris X poll. Black registered voters, registered voters, black Americans, August. Uh, well, there's two votes, one comparing before the Republican National Convention, the other um, the other conducted during the, the, the RNC, the, the Republican National Convention. Black approval of Trump was 15 percent, one five, 15 percent before the convention. During the convention, it jumped nine percentage points. To 24%. Nine percentage points to 24%. This, folks, in and of itself, I'm telling you right now, we are in the midst of, again, the beginning stages of the midst of what is going to become the most contentious, vitriolic campaign in our lifetimes. It's going to make the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, um, contest of 2016, it's going to make it look like a walk in the park, a meeting amongst friends, because they realize what's at stake here, folk. It, so, if 15 percent of the black vote are gonna, is going to vote for Trump, which I'm not predicting, that's what this means, but it does mean trouble for the Democrats. That was already a trouble, a troubling number. Now they're at twenty four percent. So that is the context. You have to. We all have to come to grips with this. I know it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not something that many folks want to admit. But everything is viewed through the political lens. Everything is viewed through the political lens. The stuff that we are witnessing, the the tensions, the boycotting of sports leagues, all of this stuff. Trump I saw last week called the NBA 
a political organization, and he would be correct. Absolutely unequivocally correct. I know Democrats now who are not putting up with the NBA. They were, they're not just they're not just turning it off in some sort of silent protest. They are livid that they can't turn on an NBA basketball game that they used to watch for enjoyment, for pleasure, to escape from whatever it is in life, just to enjoy something from an entertainment perspective for a little bit. Now they cannot do that. There's Black Lives Matter painted all across the court. There's Black Lives Matter stuff on the backs of jerseys. There's other statements, the commercials, the the, the commentators. Again, I don't watch this. There's places that I go if I'm out for lunch meetings. I see this stuff on the TVs in the background, and you can see what this is. It is a big infomercial to basically organize and get out the vote for Democrat candidates. That is what this has become. And I saw – now this is another sport, but I read a headline this morning from the Dallas Stars uh, CEO – that's hockey, NHL. He said that they're losing fans over their support for Black Lives Matter. Folks, they, they are making strategic errors, but they are trying their darndest. They're trying their darndest to capitalize on politically. And again, it's pathetic. It's sickening. We have real violence, real tension, real turmoil. Our nation is... In some ways, coming apart at the seams over this. Plus, you've got COVID, which time permitting, we'll get to that as well. I guess I'll throw this out there since I mentioned COVID. New York Times wrote a piece. I don't think Oz has heard this. Nine Up to 90% of positive COVID tests. Let me make sure I get this correctly or say this correctly because it's... Um, I want, to, I want to say it right here. The original New York Times piece, New York Times, by the way, your coronavirus test is positive. Maybe it shouldn't be. The usual diagnostic test may simply be too sensitive and too slow to contain the spread of the virus. But it says in this piece, if you read the full piece, it says that up to, I think it was 90%, folks, 90% of people, here it is. In three sets of testing data, you got to scroll down forever to find this. In three sets of testing data that includes cycle thresholds compiled, uh, compiled by officials in Massachusetts, New York, and Nevada, or as Trump says, Nevada, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus, a review by the, New York, uh, by the Times found. So in other words, not, up to 90% of people should not have truly tested positive because they contain, they, they didn't. They didn't carry hardly any of the virus. There wasn't a, a threshold that really made them um, contagious um, or the, to where they truly were affected by the virus. So now they're telling us that. My point is is that they they have amped up they have they have ratcheted up the attention on certain issues, and they are all in because they have a candidate that is unelectable on his own. They have a candidate that is uninspiring. They have a candidate who is absolutely pathetic. They have a candidate who has been in Washington, D.C. for effectively half a century telling us about systemic issues that he's refused to address 
from the time that he set foot in Washington, D.C. until today. But yet suddenly, for some reasons, reasons that the rest of us can never understand, those of us who are free thinkers, those of us who are looking at things logically, those of us who are trying to figure out what it is exactly that, uh, you know, the, the rationale, the reasoning, why you would pick someone who's been there for a half a century to come in and tell us all the systemic problems that have been in existence in our nation since our nation's founding that he's just now waking up to that exists that he's trying to fix. Give me a break. This guy is a pathetic candidate, and they know it. They need hatred. They need hatred in order to win this election. This is undeniable. They need to stir up hatred, hatred that Trump is killing people with COVID, hatred that Trump and Republicans are engaging in systemic racism, hatred at America as it's founded. They need hatred. That is what they need. And I am telling you, they are willing they are willing to both metaphorically and quite literally burn this place down. And I talk to people, again, from different political persuasions, people that don't like Trump, people who like their country, people who think, wait a minute, what are we supposed to do here? What do they really want? They look at this Jacob Blake case, the case that almost shut the NBA down, whoop-de-doo. I thought it was shut down anyway. No one's watching your stupid infomercial for Democrat Party candidates right now. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. LeBron James had to be talked down. <laughs> so patently absurd. Obama calls him up. Obama, LeBron James, and a couple others, I don't even know, get together and, LeBron, and, and Obama convinces them, don't, you know, don't, don't cancel your season. By the way, why did they cancel the game on Wednesday? This, this Jacob Blake tragic situation... And I say it's tragic because there's a loss of life and officers officers are placed in a position that they shouldn't have been placed in as well. So you have this terrible situation. Family members that, that have now lost a loved one because of some terrible decisions that were made. A series of things that could have been done differently prior to the police showing up even. Which we may get to that as well. I got so many things I want to get to here. But you look at this, and I want to know why do they want to cancel the games on Wednesday? What about the games on Monday and Tuesday? Why is it, why was it, you know, necessary and good? And then, you know, why, why did it spread to other leagues? You had to not cancel, you, you had to cancel your games on one night. Why one night or two nights, I guess it was. But now it's okay to come back. I mean, none of this stuff makes, makes any sense to me. Makes any sense to me. You're supposed to have the appropriate amount of outrage as determined by, I guess, LeBron James. I, I guess by, as determined by Barack Obama. I don't understand the equation. I don't understand the formula. I don't understand the thinking. Especially when you look at the facts of the case, which we'll get into now that I've, I've opened this as well. But the point here, we have a country that is burning. Burning in places like Portland and a lot of this burning, it's amazing to me. They're blaming Trump for this. They're blaming Trump for this. Who are the folks that are stirring this up? What are the people who are in the streets of these cities saying? I have a clip that I would love to play for you, but it's got so many 
F-bombs and curse words. I can't get the bleep button. You wouldn't be able to make heads or tails of this thing. So I'll read, I'll read a bit of this. They are encouraging violence, they being the radical left, they being the Black Lives Matter leaders, the so-called protesters who are actually violent antagonizers. And folks, we're not going to – we have to understand we have to secure an electoral victory here, and we're, we're going to have problems no matter what. We're going to have problems no matter what. We've all got to put our heads down and get to business and suck it up and demand that this country return to its roots as founded. We have to demand that the nonsense stop. We have to demand that these cities take control of these areas that are – on fire, where actual violence against police officers is encouraged. One idiot actually out there saying he's going to burn down the White House. This is Trump's fault. Remarkable. In D.C., by the way, this is all Trump's fault, they say. Biden comes out with a statement saying he condemns the violence. I mean, congratulations, because I don't think I've heard you condemn any violence Maybe he has. I just didn't pay attention, or maybe they didn't invite enough press to his basement. But they benefit from this politically. They think they do. They're starting to wonder if it's backfiring. They're starting to think if it's actually making Trump's law and order case a little bit more appealing to people. Shockingly, of course, when cities are on fire, when people are afraid to go outside, when people are worried about the very fabric of their society— of course, it turns out, surprisingly, shockingly to these lunatics and these radicals, it turns out that someone out there who's saying with reasonable – using using a reason and logic saying we've got to stop this. We need to return to law and order. We can't let our cities burn. We've got to do whatever it takes to stop to stop this from happening. That is considered a radical position by the radical left. You want to stop the violence. You want to stand out against it. You want to be in favor of law and order. You are not on the side of the radical left. And that's the side of this that Joe Biden is on. He has cozied up to the radical leftists. They have completely lost whatever's left of their ever-loving minds here. And they're prepared to do whatever it takes to try to win this election. You talk about actually scaring people into voting for a certain person? Look at these places where they're saying these things in the cities. Look at these places in Washington, D.C. When you leave a, the, Trump, uh, the Trump speech at the White House, they're confronted on the streets. Rand Paul said that tremendous violence would have taken place if there weren't police you know, there. He said their lives were even at risk, would have been at risk if police were not there to usher, usher them off the White House premises after last Thursday night's convention where Trump accepted the nomination. Violence, all sorts of places. Who's leading the violence? Who is it? It's not Trump's people. In fact, Portland, anti-Trump, excuse me, a, a pro-Trump rally shows up in a place that's run by radical leftists and Someone ends up dead. Trump's blamed for this. I guess the rest of us are just supposed to sit and look, I'm not saying go to certain places or go and take a weapon and, and, you know, make things worse. But I am saying this. I am saying this. They have caused this. They, the radical left. And I will say that those at the top, those who are decision makers, those who are strategic, uh, strategically planning things, 
they are actually, I mean, look, again, Black Lives Matter leaders admit to being trained Marxists. This is exactly the sort of guerrilla warfare nonsense that they engage in. This is this is what they hope for. And again, going back to that poll I said at the very top, the poll that said that 15% of black registered voters approved of Trump before the convention, that number jumped to 24% during the convention. They cannot have that. They're not going to change tactics at this point. Here we are just, what is it, uh, just about two months out, folks. We got at least two more months of this, and if Trump wins, we've got who knows what after that. But we've got two more months of this leading up to the election. They are not going to change course on this. They are going to ratchet this up. There's going to be more social unrest in these cities, more extreme accusations levied against President Trump, more death threats, more fires, more riots. And they've got no one to blame but themselves. This is what they need. They need hatred. They need, they need turmoil. They need, they need division. They need anything besides focus on their absolutely atrocious, pitiful, uninspiring candidate who's been in D.C. for nearly half a century. And I've got to take a break long in this segment. More on this when we get back. Sit tight. You're listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. So Black Lives Matter activists, I can't play this soundbite on this program because there's way too many F-bombs and expletives. I'm going to read excerpts from this. This I'm looking at the Daily Wire. Um, They wrote a summary. They've got some of the some of the poll quotes from a Black Lives Matter leader in the streets of Washington, D.C. Saturday night. This is what he says. I'm at a point. He's on the megaphone, loudspeaker, whatever. Got a crowd around him. Keep in mind there's been violence in D.C. This is what he says. I'm at a point where I'm ready to put these police in their blanking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the White House down. I want to take it to the senators. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them, and at the end of the day, if they won't hear us, we burn them the F down. He continued, I'm one that talk real excrement. I talk it in New York, and I talk it in D.C. The same way I blank police up in New York, I blank Cops up here in D.C. The same way I bust police in the head in New York, I bust police in the head in D.C. Now, it's a lot of people, and I'm going to be honest, this idiot continues, it's a lot of people that's on this front line, and one of the things that I always say, don't get on this blanking front line if you ain't going to blanking fight. Don't get on this front line if you ain't going to take no hit. 
don't get on this front line when the police blanking push up, you push back. If you're going to be on this front line and them racist blank, nasty blank, punk blank, blanking police is pushing up, you push the blank up. Folks, this is now acceptable. This is now we, we, we turn <laughs> this will still be rate this will still be called a protest. This will still be called a protest. When there's calls to burn down the White House, some will still call this a protest. Some will probably CNN somewhere will, if the White House was in flames, would probably say peaceful protest uh, in Washington, D.C., small fires erupt unexpectedly, just poof, spontaneous combustion. It's remarkable to me. It's remarkable to me. You know, I look at, I'm not a historian, but I like to look at what I, you know, what we've learned from the past, what we've learned from places and, and civilizations that have, have had moments of, of tension, even in this, this country ourselves, this country that we live in today. But throughout history, you look at certain movements and how quickly they were adopted by some people. How everything that is good and decent and wholesome and just, how quickly people can abandon that if the the conditions are right, if they stir up enough hatred and animosity, if they create a situation, a scenario whereby people are afraid, afraid to not go along. There's a factor of that, a factor of that in this as well, and they justify. They justify their acts of darkness. They justify their acts of evil. They justify the words of these people speaking out in the city streets. And make no mistake, this is happening in Washington, D.C. This is happening in New York City. This is happening in Chicago. This is happening in Portland, Oregon. This is happening in Seattle. This is happening in all these radical leftist-run cities. And it's allowed to continue to happen because they simply— Two reasons. Number one, they don't have the the intestinal fortitude to do anything about this because it makes you know they they live in the world of identity politics. And so, if you've got a group of people that have black leaders, they sit there and think, "Oh man, I don't want to. I don't want to arrest them for inciting violence. Let's just give them a part of the city, like they did in Chaz. Let's just let them set up shop there and and you know rain for three hundred hours or whatever it is." Until it's time for, you know, their their underwear needs washed and they got to go back to mommy. In the cases of some of these white liberals showing up on the scene. Until they run out of money. Until they ride on whiteboards in the city asking for donations, put it on social media. Hey, we need men's t-shirts, large size, large size t-shirts. We need tennis shoes, we need... Uh, I, I remember reading this this sign to you, the list of basically demands. Hey, they're down. They're, we're here in in Chaz struggling for the cause. We need your support, basically. That's what it was like in Chaz. But this sort of nonsense happens 
everywhere. These folks who have these ideas, who've embraced this, who've taken to the streets, who've taken to the megaphones, who've you know packed up and left mom and dad's basement, these white liberals drove in on their bicycles or their Priuses or whatever they've done, skateboards. I don't know how they got there. They didn't use their own cars. They get to the city. They they take up. They 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 set up shop. These folks should be permanently disqualified from ever ever. I'm not saying legally, but just by by association and the, and the American voter keeping in mind who these folks are. They should permanently disqualify themselves for ever ever having you know being able to serve in public office or really being able to provide anything of value to the political discourse this is this is completely deranged and unhinged what we're dealing with and at the at the root of this at the base of this is this fear that they're going to lose in 2020 and they have a form of ptsd here they remember what it was like in 2016 they remember the uncontrollable crying they remember the screaming at the universe they remember the service dogs and the coloring books and the adult play-doh and whatever else it was to help them cope with the hillary clinton defeat they were prepared to party that night folks they were ready to coronate queen hillary but they lost and their worlds came crumbling down And for the radical left who view government as God, as a religion, they vowed that they would never, ever, ever allow this to happen again. They vowed. Again, this is their religion. This is just, just think about that. Let that sink in. This isn't just something that they haphazardly kind of pay attention to. This is government is God to the radical, radical left. That's why they don't think they need a God. They can take care of everything that they need with with the right leaders in government, which is insanity. Insanity. That's why they want government to provide everything. There is no provider that's God to them. The provider is government. The provider is Joe Biden. The provider is Kamala Harris. The provider was Barack Obama. The provider was Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi. Take your pick, but it's not Donald Trump. Can't be him. He's talking about things that decentralized that power. He's talking about things that are the antithesis to what these lunatics want, which is more government, less freedom, more taxation, less prosperity. They don't realize that that's what they want. Some of them do. The ones at the top do. They realize that people who have less, less, uh, less resources, less money, less power, less liberty are easier to control. But yet, for the for the rank and file, they think that they're down for the cause. They think they're down for the revolution. They think they're down for changing humanity to a perfect utopia. If only, if only they could elect some perfect leftist. This time it's Joe Biden. And see, they know it's not him. And and the Democrats realize this. They 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 realize that we know we can't sell that. What we're going to do is we're going to sell hatred against Trump and everything else. We're going to we're going to try to push. You know, if if black voters approve of Trump now at twenty four percent, that that will if that it shows up in the polls on on election day, not just polling, but on election day, it will be the collapse. It'll be a slaughter at the at the ballot box. Biden will be annihilated. It will not be close. And so what do you do? What do you do when a quarter of black voters suddenly, after the convention, 
find it favorable that Donald find Donald Trump favorable. You go to the you, you go to the race. You go to the race and you continue to tell them that Trump is a racist, that Trump doesn't care about them because they're black. You remind them of Charlottesville, you take quotes out of context, you don't give the complete quote where Trump clearly said he was not talking about those um you know the the Nazis as being good people. He was talking about another group that was in favor of protecting the monuments. It's not complicated, but it is because they don't want it to be clear and uh, clear cut and straightforward because they want you to hate him. And the quickest way you can do that is to go uh, is to to open up the emotional wounds of of racial tension. And it's sad and it's pathetic and it's reprehensible. And I gotta take a break. Oz has had it with me not paying attention to her. She may throw something at me here in just a minute, but I've got to take a time out. Come back and continue this discussion. But this, get ready for more of this. If you think it's tense today, wait until next week. If you think it's tense next week, wait until the following week. And it's going to happen like this up up until and through Election Day. Sit tight. Be back in just a minute. Welcome back. So, of course, the mayor of Portland. Boy, where did I see that? I just I just read that and I put that up. But the mayor of Portland is blaming Trump for this. Trump's the reason, he says, for the violence. Meanwhile, the mayor of Portland does effectively nothing to stop it. Nothing. I saw the New York. That's where I saw the New York Times. New York Times. I tell you what, the New York Times, I only read this because just to see how insane the radical left is. Listen to how they describe this. This the, the the death. There's a death in Portland over the weekend. Details remained murky about a, the killing of a man in Portland, Oregon this weekend. The Times has put together a Q&A, oh, joy of joys, about what we know and don't know. Sure, we can trust that completely, New York Times. A pro-Trump, pro-police caravan traveled through the city on Saturday, clashing with counter-protesters at times. People shot paintball guns from trunks in the caravan, and protesters threw objects at them. The man who died from a gunshot wound to the chest has not been identified. He was wearing a hat with the insignia of Patriot Prayer, a local far-right group. Now I want to pause. I don't know specifically what Patriot Prayer Group, a local group apparently in that particular region. But they they immediately call it a far-right group. Now, in the New York Times world, if you believe that government shouldn't do anything, you're considered far-right. So my spidey sense is going off here that this is really a far-right group. But I don't know. I can't speak to, to, to defend them because I specifically don't know. But this is what the New York Times engages in on a regular on a regular basis. Portland's mayor Ted Wheeler said this on Sunday, "Do you serious one uh, seriously wonder, Mr. President, why this is the first time in decades that America has seen this level of violence? It's you who have created the hate and the division." So basically, Trump wins election back in 2016 
The left cries. They play with their Play-Doh service dogs, all this kind of stuff. They blame Putin. They blame Facebook. Now they've got even more control, more influence over social media networks to where if you say anything, even Trump ads getting blocked on a regular basis. Trump has a tweet. There's some Twitter thing that pops up that says, if you really want to know the facts on this, click on this link. Our fact checkers have dug into this. They have can give us all sorts of insider information about this lying president. It doesn't say that part, but it might as well. So we, we've got all this fallout, all these consequences since the election. And so they started their protests pretty much on day one. And it's not been effective. It's not it's not stop Trump. It's been effective at, at getting people riled up. And you just look at all the different forms, women's protests, Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, there's groups of Antifa, which is, again, these groups morph and cross over at some point. But there's also distinct, distinct missions or stated purposes of these groups. But it's all the same at the same time, which is to undermine and to stop this president. So basically what this mayor of Portland is saying is that the president, by being Donald Trump, I guess, has given these – they're not protesters. They're, they're rioters. Has given, has given these rioters permission to be violent, I guess is the argument here. The mayor does nothing to stop it. Mayor says, I'm not really responsible for anything. Trump is. The people taking the actions not responsible for anything because Trump stirred them to this level of emotion. I mean, really, what this all comes down to is because Trump won the election, people are entitled to do whatever they want violently and burn down cities. That's effectively what we're, de- what we're talking about here. Trump then, of course, says that um, the people that were in the Trump rally were great patriots. And as the New York Times points out here, Trump accused the protesters without any evidence, they say, of trying to stage a coup attempt. I mean, folks, they're taking over cities. I don't know if the New York Times doesn't know what a coup is, but if you basically take over your government leaders and establish or try to establish for yourself your own independent state, um, (laughs) what else do you call this? What else do you call this? Again, this is politically driven. This is politically driven, and you look at the people who have power and sway and influence in the Democrat Party. They're happy to stoke this violence because they know that they – well, they think. Now they're afraid that they've taken this too far. But the hope was that they stir up enough hatred and emotion for people to hate Trump and want to stop him so bad that they'll drive them to the the polls. Of course, now they're probably wondering if their protesters aren't going to burn down the polls. This has gotten out of control. In fact, I saw Val Demings out there. Val Demings, who was a finalist for the VP for Biden, actually saying we should wait until we get all the facts. What in the world? When a Democrat starts talking like that, I'll play that when we get back. When she talks about getting all the facts before we we rush to judgment on something like Jeff uh, uh, on on Jacob Blake. I'm sorry. On the Jacob Blake situation, you realize that there's um, they're they're learning stuff as far as how this responds. And I hate to gloss over. We're talking about deaths of people and so forth, but they make it political. Everything is political. 
and they're trying to use it to their advantage. And folks, they are terrified. I saw Bill Maher is now scared after the convention when he thinks about Biden's chances of beating Trump. We got at least two more months of this, but I've got to take a time out. We'll continue when we get back. I'll play the soundbite from Val Demings. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Not a lot of time left today. In fact, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Jacob Blake and the circumstances and situation. And I wanted to talk about all the other steps along the way, and we may do this at some point, all the steps along this progression, along this path, that another decision could have been made that would have prevented the circumstance that we saw on video where he was shot. Terrible circumstances, right? I mean, this is um, – he's paralyzed now from you know, from reports, according to reports. But there were a lot of bad things. Again, just because you do bad things doesn't mean you need you, – you, it's necessary that you get shot or that it's justifiable. But it could be. And what we're learning specifically about the case, the circumstances around – when he was when he encountered the officers, we're realizing more and more by the day now that there's more and more justification. Now whether it's completely justified, that's I mean that's that's for a, the the process to determine. But it's not what they portrayed this to be at the beginning. And Val Demings knows this. So there's this encounter this uh, discussion here Val Demings had that I told you I'd play with CBS Face the Nation. Listen to what she says here. So quickly, since you were a former police chief, what happened to Jacob Blake? Shot seven times. The police were responding and knew there was a warrant out for his arrest. Is there in any way any justification for what happened? I think what we have to do is all take a deep breath. If we want justice to be served, we've got to wait until a thorough and complete investigation is done. We do not want to play judge, jury, and executioner, whether we're talking about Mr. Blake or we're talking about the police officer. We want the facts, and we must have all of them if we want to see justice served, and I believe we all do. Well, I hope so. I hope that that's right. And the instinct here, I mean, the, the, I think that a lot of people have are to applaud finally hearing something of reason coming from the, the left. But I think before we get too far down that path, I think we have to ask ourselves why. And I think the reason, I think we at least need to strongly consider that the reason that this is the position is because they realize now that they're politically harming themselves because of how far they've taken some of this rhetoric and nonsense. And it's actually making some folks embrace the idea of more law and order. Got to take it one more time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. You know... Waiting moments of this program, but chatting with someone on Facebook here, it's when you think about these things and the excuses made and, and so forth, it reminds me of a truth of what the radical left believes. And that truth is this. That truth is this. The radical left teaches us that everyone were somehow responsible 
for the actions, thoughts, feelings of everyone else. But yet somehow, mysteriously, none of us are responsible for ourselves. It's a lie, completely untrue. It's exactly the opposite. And that's what that's what's appealing, one of the things that's appealing about, about liberalism. So I've got to wrap up here. Our Well, today I should mention as well, I'm going through some some changes and so forth. There will not be a, a YouTube hour today. We'll pick that up again tomorrow. Bear with me from time to time as we grow. SDG. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Take care.